Hello, everybody. It's my pleasure to welcome you to this inaugural episode of the new Headroyce Alumni Podcast series, Headroyce Voices. This is the first episode in what will be a six-part series this year, where you will hear from different members of the Headroyce Alumni community. I'm Brendan Blakely, Headroyce Class of 1988, current director of athletics, and your host for this episode. I'm joined here today by another alum, our new assistant director of athletics, Stephen Flynn, from the class of 2002. Welcome back, Stephen, to the school, and welcome everybody to this podcast. Thanks for having me. Stephen and I have the awesome, awesome privilege today to interview one of the all-time legends of Head Royce, a man who just last year retired from the school after 42 years here on campus, Coach Mike Talps. Hey, Brendan. Thanks a lot, man. Stephen, it's good to see you. Uh, appreciate you guys having me here and uh, doing this today. It should be fun. Yeah, we're, look we're looking forward to the conversation. So, Coach, uh, while I'm sure a lot of the folks listening today are at least in some ways familiar um, with, uh, with you, um, Talps, can we start uh, with some professional introductions? Can you tell us uh, how you came to Head Royce uh, oh so many years ago? Well, uh, that's a funny story, Brendan. I, you know, I just graduated from college and I was looking for a job. Um, I wasn't necessarily picking career, just a job. And uh, there was an ad in the newspaper. You guys probably don't know what newspapers are anymore, but there was actually an ad. We used to circle the uh, little ads as you go through the newspaper and then you'd make phone calls. And, and there was an ad for Head Royce School. They needed coaches. So I you know, circled the ad, went in to interview with a guy named Tom Welsh, uh, who we all know real well. And uh, my interview was uh, less than stellar. Um, it was uh, the craziest thing I'd ever done in my life as far as anything professionally or as a job. Uh, I came to the school and I arrived. I waited for 15 minutes. Tom was a little late getting to the office. I was in the middle school head's office and uh he runs in he's got his clipboard his hat his shorts on you know looking like an athletic director uh runs in hi are you mike yeah i'm mike and i got my little one-page resume and i'm ready to hand it into him and hand it to him and he kind of tosses it over to the side and i'm like yeah well so much for that he says uh i need you to come with me and we are next thing i know i'm in a school station wagon there are 12, 13 kids in the car with us because this is back in 1980. So, you know, no seat belts, people's feet hanging out of the windows, people's arms, legs, no one cared. Uh, I'm in the front seat in the middle, mind you. Uh, there's a kid sitting on the door and we're driving out to the soccer field out uh, at uh, Ramondi Field. And we get there, the kids pile out of the car. And, and the reason we're doing this is because the coach couldn't, didn't show up to be there on time so i'm sitting in the car and i've got a shirt and tie on and i'm you know thinking i'm gonna be interviewed and a couple minutes later tom comes over the car and he says hey can you help me set up the nets and i go you're kidding right i mean you know i'm in a tie and so i'm now out putting up soccer nets and i'm hanging soccer nets um needless to say we get all this done the coach shows we drive back to head royce tom talks to me for probably seven or eight minutes and he says i've got to go because i've got to go coach middle school flag football i'll give you a call he runs up to the field and that's it that was my interview 
uh, the next day he calls me and offers me a job. And all I'm thinking is there's no way on God's earth I'm going to be working at this place. Are you kidding me? I saw how the interview went. If that's, you know, uh, but you know, if you know, Tom, uh, he talked me into it. I took the job and, uh, thought I'll do this for a year or two and I'll go on to fame and fortune and riches. And, uh, 42 years later, I was still doing what Tom had me doing on day one. So that's how I ended up at Head Royce, which is a little crazy, but yeah. Um, so the, the moral of the story is if you can uh, be pretty adept at hanging soccer nets uh, on the goals, you can get a job, at least at least uh, back in the day. Back in the day, uh, it was not very formal, uh, I would say the least. I think we talked maybe 10 minutes about sports and athletics and uh the next day he offered me a job and i and i i honestly thought when i left that you know i, I there's no way i'm even considering this this wasn't even an option so yeah it, to to say that i ended up here uh was just uh, purely tom welsh he he talked me into the job on the phone and uh convinced me to just give it a try and take it and i did and we're, we're here's where we are today. So, yeah. Nice. So, Brendan, um, we got a bit of shared background. Obviously, you're an alum. I think that Tom Welsh may have interviewed you also. Uh, for the folks who don't know you, give us your professional background. How'd you end up here? <laughs> the well, So, I actually ended up here because of Talps, but uh, I'll get to that quickly. So, always, you know, I always had an interest in athletics, and I was fortunate enough um, when I was in college to get uh, – involved with the sport of uh, women's lacrosse when I was a student at UC Davis and through uh, uh, a bunch of fortunate um, uh, happenings. I became the head coach of the women's lacrosse team at UC Davis. I did that for nine years. Uh, there was a time then when uh, I felt like I needed to uh, make an adjustment. And coincidentally, at the year that I was thinking about uh, leaving UC Davis, um, Talps and I were talking and he said that uh, um, a longtime PE teacher and tennis coach, Bob Manalo, was leaving his position uh, as a PE teacher at the school. So they had a spot open. Uh, Talps and I, I recall, met at the In-N-Out Burger uh, in Pinole, uh, had a conversation about it. He convinced me it would be worth it to uh, apply, which I did. Uh, and so I came in fall of 2001 uh, back to Head Royce uh, and... Um, became the middle school athletic director, taught uh, middle school PE classes, uh, ended up coaching, definitely coached men's varsity basketball. I coached men's varsity lacrosse, which was a sport we were getting up and running then. And I think I coached the women's varsity tennis team for a season and uh, everybody seemed to have survived uh, that experience. Uh, I was in, in, in thinking about today's uh, discussion, I do recall that I actually called Tom Welsh in 1993, and I asked him if I could come back and become a uh, basketball coach here, and uh, he said no. Uh, that he already had all of his coaching slots uh, filled and he had no space for me. And I remember feeling uh, shocked that he wouldn't let me come back and just be an assistant coach and try to learn a little bit about that. But uh, uh, things happen for a reason. Uh, and uh, fast forward then uh, a bunch of years and, and I landed back at Head Royce. I left Head Royce after three years as a middle school ID. I went over to um, another independent school in San Francisco called the Urban School. I was the athletic director there for five years. 
Uh, and at that time, Tom Welsh was retiring in uh, at the end of the uh, uh, 07, 08 school year. Uh, the position became available. I applied and was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, given this position. So I think I'm in my 14th year right now as, uh, as the athletic director here. So, Stephen, I guess it's uh, your turn uh, since I, you're the last one left here. You're the young guy, but uh, what have you uh, been up to and uh, what? Uh, how did you get back to head Royce? Sure. So, graduated 2002. I went to UC Davis, um, had every intention of playing baseball there, and it didn't work out. I started playing club baseball there, and within a year or two became the president and, uh, and head coach of the club baseball team. I was a player coach at the time, so that was my first taste of, like, coaching and administration um did that through the rest of my years um in college um started coaching tennis teaching tennis also um as my uh, monday through thursday job in college so my first kind of like dabble my, my first toe into the waters of coaching life um but after school without kind of like a really clear direction um i came back i coached for you know one season here with you mike um i guess that was 2006 maybe 2000 spring is 2007 something like that um was substitute teaching here for a bit and then uh, i found a job in corporate communications uh, i had some a fellow head rice alums doing that work out in san francisco uh, i did that for three years producing podcasts and uh, webcasts and global communications doing some speech writing and public speaking and this and that and uh i was still playing baseball and uh at that time got involved with san francisco national adult baseball association um, found my way onto their board of directors. And then when their president <laughs> commissioner moved on, I became the president commissioner of this men's baseball league. So now I'm starting to like mix coaching with athletics administration. And um, at the same time, I started volunteering for Boys and Girls Club, uh, helping their youth of the year candidates with their public speaking. It's kind of like a national contest that goes from local to regional and onto the national level. So I would go on their retreat and help them deliver their speeches and write their speeches and things like that. Um, after a few years in corporate, I actually made the transition and started working for Boys and Girls Club. So I spent a year uh, at Visitation Valley doing youth development um, with their teen program. And then uh, when they cut that program at Boys and Girls Club, I thought, man, I got to get into education. I got to get into sports. Um, Mike, you've been a mentor of mine and, you know, my seventh grade PE teacher. Um, and I just felt like the right place for me. So I called Tom Welsh, uh, had lunch with him at Krogan's in Montclair. I said, Tom, how do I get into this business? Like, what do I do? Like, do I got to go back to school? Um, you know, what, what are the steps? And he said, well, the first step is you got to have lunch with me because I know everybody. I'm the commissioner of the Bay Area Conference. We've got 30 plus schools. If there's a job in high school athletics, I'm the one to talk to. Um, and I said, cool. And I did a, you know, a few of his other steps. I started to get moving on. And about two weeks later, he called me. Um, there was a position open mid-year um, at Gateway Public Charter High School in San Francisco uh, in Western Edition. I interviewed for that job and got it. Um, the executive director of that school is actually also a Hedroy alum, Sharon Olkin. Um, also was a student athlete here, a great soccer player. Um, and I got that job and inherited a program that had a, its basic foundation, but didn't have a really strong culture. Um, so it was a great project for me to kind of build um, a program up from something that was just there into something that was really powerful and and uh, effective way of, of doing sports and education. So I've actually been at Gateway for um, almost the last 10 years, about nine and a half years I spent there um, doing uh, being the athletic director at Gateway and coaching various teams here and there. And 
Um, after that period of time, um, it's time for a change, time to go back to school. So I'm enrolled in a master's program right now at the University of Washington, uh, Intercollegiate Athletics Leadership it's called. And it's time to come back, back closer to home as well um, as a part-time position there. Um, so here I am, uh, came back to Head Royce, you know, with a, a, a newly created position here, Assistant Athletic Director. And it's cool, you know, coming back home, one. Two, I've been working side by side with Brennan for the last nine and a half years because uh, Gateway is in the Bay Area Conference. They're in the BCL Central, Head Royce is in the BCL East, but Brennan and I have a lot of professional communications. We've been scheduling games with each other and um, it's a different environment, a different school with a different set of challenges. Um, and that was really, really meant a lot to me to be working um, uh, with that community over there. It's, it's a second home to me as Head Royce is a home to me. Uh, and I'm really happy to be back. You know, we're happy real quick. Hey, Brendan, you know, I was thinking really quickly is that uh, Sharon Olkin, I taught her when she was at Head Royce, but her brother was my very first catcher. Yeah, Jeff Olkin. <laughs> That's too funny. The um, Talps, let's talk a little bit about uh, educational athletics. Um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the, the teams, the different teams that you coached here uh, at Head Royce uh, over the years and, and, and what sort of made you stick around uh, as long as you did in educational athletics? Um, and touch a little bit on uh, the importance of athletics uh, for you as a coach in the educational setting, you know, drawing that distinction between um, uh, uh, scholastic sports uh, and, and uh, as opposed to club teams. Wow, that's, that's a huge subject. Um, <laughs> so uh, I started off as a middle school coach. Um, I uh, and, and, and a high school girls JV coach was actually what I was hired for girls JV basketball. Uh, but that, that first year I did that, I coached, uh, the, uh, in the middle school, I coached boys softball, we had softball back then. And, uh, I coached middle school boys soccer. Uh, I went on to coach girls softball in middle school. I coached girls volleyball in the middle school. Uh, you know, so I, I've, I, I really, got myself started at the lower levels and uh tommy can we, can we please can we please not not shine over the outstanding job you did when i was in eighth grade uh with yes. our middle school boys soccer program well we did win a championship <laughs> yes we did we did win a championship and and let's be honest um i can tell you all i know about soccer i can write it on my little pinky nail okay uh i actually went out and the very first game i saw in soccer live in my life I was coaching in. So it gives you an indication of where my coaching background for soccer is. Uh, I think it was my second year and I ended up winning the championship with Brendan playing for me. And we, we just laughed and I tell everybody, hey, I won a title in soccer. And uh, and actually the kids ran the program, ran the team. I just showed up every day and they're like, coach, we need to do this. Let's do it. Sounds good to me. Um, so yeah, it, coaching in the middle school is absolutely, uh, fun and, you know, but Tom at that point as a young coach, Tom made it really clear to me was this is where you learn to coach. You learn to coach down in the lower levels. You know, all of our aspirations are always to get to the highest level, but you learn to coach in the lower levels. And so I really, you know, sort of cut my teeth down in middle school, uh, coaching middle school girls volleyball, picking up sports that I had never 
played. I never had the background for. I had to learn how to coach these sports, but more importantly, how to interact and coach middle school kids, uh, middle school girls, middle school boys. How do you coach at those levels? And, uh, you know, Tom was was really responsible for me uh, staying in that for a long enough time till I felt confident to go, yeah, I'm ready to move up to the next level. I had learned the lessons of the sport, but also how to work with parents, how to communicate with officials and the other team and create a schedule and do all these things you learn at the middle school level. So that was where I got sort of my start. Uh, I was also coaching the middle school girls basketball team, which was totally uh so much fun. Uh, I, I uh, did that and I coached the girls high school JV team. And so doing those two sports, uh, you know, almost back to back, I was almost coaching two teams those first years. Uh, I, I had so much fun. But at that point, you know, I also started to realize that, man, I'm learning a lot. I, I'm figuring this out. And how do I move up? And so at some point I moved up into the high school. Uh, I coached. Uh, high school baseball, which came, uh, I believe, 1984, we started the baseball program. Uh, I assisted uh, at the varsity level in basketball uh, with Tom. I uh, was Brendan's assistant basketball coach, I think, when Brendan was a freshman. I coached that team. Sophomore, yeah. uh, your sophomore year? Okay, maybe your sophomore year. Okay. And uh, and then uh, I had Steven, you know, in his time in baseball. So baseball was one of those sports that, you know, we all we had the, the, the real connection with. But, you know, I also coached girls JV tennis at the high school level and, uh, you know, helped out with a number of different teams. I, I'm not sure what made me stay other than the fact it was just so much fun. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there's an old adage, an old saying that, you know, it says, uh, if you love your job, then you never work a day in your life. Well, I played around for 42 years. Uh, it was fun. Um, you know, people would say, how can you do this for so long? And, you know, I never looked at it as a job. You know, I, I would wake up in the morning and think, oh, my God, I get to go to work. Uh, it wasn't that I have to go to work. And so that was always the uh, the, the thing that was the driving force. Um, and then as I got older, I had to learn to understand because when I was a young coach, there was no club athletics. There were there were no club teams playing. And as I moved on into athletics, I, I realized there were other choices that you had to make. And um, having talked to people about starting club teams and different things, I, I realized that there was a, a, a component in the uh, educational athletics area that, that I really appreciated was the, uh, and especially it had Royce, um, uh, being that we are not an athletic factory. And so it's about uh, teaching the skills, teaching the love of the game, getting kids to come out of their shell. There's so many lessons that can be learned, uh, whether it's, you know, how to be a good teammate, um, good sportsmanship, uh, showing up every day, commitment, just the kind of things that I think that are good life lessons. And so that was one of my core values was how do I teach good life skills using sports, using athletics, um, how to, uh, you know, just, you know, pick yourself up off the ground after failure. You know, you've committed to something and how do you see it through? Uh, There's so many values that uh, after a while I began to understand these are the things that were important to me. Uh, how do I, how do I do that? And as well as cultivating relationships. Um, most of my 
good friends now. Pretty much have head voice backgrounds, uh, which is crazy because, uh, you know, you, you teach students and you do things for so long and those students end up becoming your friends. They become part of your family. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's a long process over a period of time. But I think the core values that I started with with Tom Welsh um, really helped me. Uh, it sort of developed my own philosophy, what I wanted to do, and um, and then understanding the difference between athletics and PE, which I, I think many many people don't understand. Um, the PE component is uh, just like English history; it's it's a class that you're teaching in within the school academic day and uh athletics is after school and so people don't get to volunteer to take pe they have to take PE. so how do you incorporate the kid who is the non-athlete and get them to love sports love pe just show up every day whatever it is and, and make them feel a part of it that was uh one of the biggest values and the core things that i always took into my my classes that you know these kids have to be here how do i get them to enjoy that part of the day uh, yeah, athletes come into class and as a seventh grader, you know, softball in PE is next, right next to the world series. It's, it's, you know, the greatest thing that happens in your day. Um, you know, if you're playing soccer, man, this is the world cup, you know, for those 45 minutes, but the non-athlete, uh, for them, it, it can be torture. And how do you get those kids to walk away and say, Hey, you know, this was okay. It wasn't bad. You know, sometimes that's all you can get. So those values that you develop over time, uh, it, you know, those are instilled early, you know, from Tom Welsh, who really helped to shape my teaching and coaching career from a young coach. Uh, if I can piggyback on that, you know, so we, we obviously have a little bit of a, of a of lineage here, right? Uh, I think that for myself as a coach, uh, I learned a lot uh, from Coach Taups uh, in the, uh, uh, the years that uh, I was on our baseball team here. Uh, and it was, uh, I always used to reference understanding when it was at practice, time to have fun and you can smile a little bit and then time to work. And um, I think one of the things that Talps has always been able to do uh, with his programs is is uh, define that and maybe not, you know, uh, necessarily verbally, but um, uh, understand uh, why kids are playing sports and why they're on the team. And and, and the, the rationale is different for different folks. Um, and uh, but I think Talps, one of your strengths was always. Uh, making sure that there was enough fun uh, involved, even for the championship level teams who had a high, high expectations of winning. Uh, and uh, um, there's no reason why they, those two things can't coexist uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, um, I'll say uh, for myself, um, I think one of my uh, overarching goals uh, in my position here at my alma mater, um, I'm always trying to, to, um, uh, help provide uh, a similar positive experience uh, in athletics that I had when I was a, a student here. Uh, when I was in my teens, um, you know, a big part of my identity was as an athlete. Um, and uh, so that uh, is the case for any number of students on our campus these days. And so uh, I feel uh, you know, uh, that part of uh, my role and our role in the athletic department is to try to make sure that we're providing positive experiences for those kids. Positive, not always meaning uh, that we are laughing and, and happy uh, and winning all the time because there are some tough lessons that we have to learn uh, through athletics as well. But uh, um, 
that's one of those things that I fall back on uh, a lot uh, is try to, when I look at our students here today uh, is to make sure that uh, they are having um, uh, positive experiences because it can be such a, uh, for, you know, as you mentioned, Tops, like for some kids, that's the highlight of the day, right? Uh, get through the academics so you can get to the fun part uh, after school uh, and be with your friends and use your body uh, and compete uh, and exercise and uh that's uh, you know continually a a big focus of our program. Uh, Stephen, how about you? Uh, education and athletics. Um, what sort of draws you to that uh, arena? Yeah, I mean, this the seeds were planted here, right? My work, my work with Alps, you know, still one of my mentors today, had to do with um, with looking at the holistic <laughs> the holistic view of a person. It was we we I can remember so many conversations. Uh, with Talps over the years that have stuck with me, and none of them had to do with the technical execution of a baseball skill uh, or a sports skill. They had to do with with how to deal with failure. Um, they had to do with identity, with with understanding who I am. With you know, I heard you say, Brennan. I hear this from from kids all the time in sports, um, and I think all of us as athletes at some point uh, tied our identity to the sport that we were playing. I am a baseball player. I am this, I am a basketball player. And at a school like Ed Royce, that's very academically focused, um, you can kind of fall into a little, a little trap there of identifying yourself that way. But the truth is uh, at the end of the day, baseball is something that we do. Basketball is something that we do. And I learned this here um, through all of the other experiences that I had away from baseball, through the failure of it, through the end of my career, uh, I'm not a baseball player. I'm a person who plays baseball. Who I am is is what I demonstrate, is how I treat people, how I interact with the world around me. And it helped me find like true core values. And then that experience uh, reminds me that when I'm working with kids and, and that like the most valuable lesson here and one of my biggest contributions is to continue to have that holistic view of young people. Continue to remind the kid who's obsessed with the next phase obsessed with getting to um getting to play college baseball because they're being fed that also by by other coaches and by our culture and by college coaches saying you need to do this and you need to do that you can play college baseball but you need to gain 25 pounds uh, you want a high school kid yeah. with that kind of metabolism to gain 25 pounds of muscle what are they going to do how is that going to impact the life of a 17 year old what are they going to have to give up and that's not necessarily a healthy view. So I'm always going to step back and look at these little humans and go like, you're growing up. I'm here to help you grow up. I will help you get better at sports. I will give you every opportunity I can, but this is about integrity and, and, um, and mindfulness and growth and, and my work inside, both inside of, uh, you know, I work at Gateway, my work outside of, of that as a photographer and a journalist, which is like part of my other work that I do, um, justice and fairness and equity have been a huge part of my approach towards education and they will be for the rest of my time. So, um, yeah, that's why it means a lot to me. That's why, you know, this is the place sports is a, is a really safe place to fail. If you fail here, you just lost and you get to go to practice the next day and you get to try again. Exactly. And like, I see Talps nodding over there. Like yes. I can hear Talps' voice sometimes <laughs> coming out of my mouth. I know that he would agree. And 
Um, and that's why this means so much to me. And that's why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, uh, folks that you've mentioned, Talps, uh, as being sort of instrumental, obviously, in bringing you here uh, is Tom Welsh. I think all three of us have just mentioned uh, his name. Tom is uh, uh, what, Tom was the athletic director uh, at the school, I believe, starting in 1972. He retired from the AD position here in 2009. And uh, up until last spring, he was the commissioner of the Bay Area Conference, which is the uh, the conference that we participate in. And he'd been doing that uh, 15, 20 years, maybe more. Um, so he's now sort of officially stepped out of the uh, uh, high school athletics arena. Um, uh, Tom's a unique individual. Uh, some people love him. Uh, some people hate him. Some people tolerate him uh, or did. Um, but certainly uh, we wouldn't be here today without uh, uh, his efforts and his personality uh, and his foresight uh, in, uh, in getting this school's uh, uh, athletic program uh, uh, up and, uh, and moving. Um, uh, Talps, if you had, I, I know you talked a little bit about your hiring story. Um, do you have another uh, uh, funny quip uh, about Coach Welsh that uh, might resonate uh, with the audience here? Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> there are so many Tom Welsh stories, Brendan. Uh, you know, and, and I have to be very careful because, you know, you, you, I could, this, this could really go sideways really quickly. Um, yeah, Tom Welsh, you know, he was the kind of guy, you know, to, to give you a, a sort of description of Tom. Uh, if you think back when you see these old movies and things about the circus coming to town. So Tom Welsh was the head of the circus. You know, he would come in. You'd see him one day and he's tacking up the posters of, of the circus, you know, first. And you'd see him in town and he's, you know, building it up. And then you get to the circus and he's selling tickets. And you go, oh, my God, this is going to be great. And, you know, all you've seen is Tom. And, and then you go inside and then he's the ringmaster and he's the guy that's making everything happen. And you look over and he's the lion tamer and he's and he's wearing all these different hats. And, and this is what Tom was about. Tom, when I came to Head Royce, um, he had a vision and, and, and but he had to do it all. Uh, he was uh, it was just him. Uh, and this is before the school went fully co-ed and he, he had to do everything. And so uh, when he came to me, uh, it, it was really a thing of, you know, him trying to get me to buy into his dream, buy into the dream that, hey, we can make a, an athletic program here. And how do we do this? And and he had a vision. And like I said, Tom was a carnival barker. He could, you know, sell <laughs> ice cubes to an Eskimo, man. He was he was the man. Uh, Tom has done so many different things. But uh, but he had a vision for Head Royce that um, that always stuck with me. And I can remember us having conversations uh, just about where he wanted the program to go and, you know, what he wanted to happen, have, have happened. And, you know, we, we, I remember the conversation being something like, you know, when we're very good, when we have good teams, we should have a chance to win it all. And when we're not very good, we should be very competitive. And so he wasn't looking at the ends of the spectrum. He was saying, let's get really good, consistent teams. And, uh, and, and that was what I remember the most in my very first meetings with Tom, feeling like he wasn't a win at all costs. He was, let's just get to be really good. You know, let's not, you know, worry about winning the whole thing, but 
you know, let's, you know, try to be very good. And, uh, you know, Tom had so many funny things that happened during our time. And it, it, I go back to one of my early days where uh, Tom and I were, we had school station wagons. And so we would drive the kids to the game in station wagons. And I can remember going with Tom over to University High School and, you know, universities over in the city. And there's, it's always, you know, just crazy trying to park your car. And, you know, we're always late. You're getting over the bridge late. And we get to University High School. Uh, I find a space first. And I have the JV kids. And so I'm in my space and I'm letting my kids out of the car uh, as I'm parking. Uh, I get out of the car and I'm looking around, where's Tom? Where's Tom? I don't see him. You know, I'm not really sure where the gym is at this point. This must be my second year, maybe coaching. And, uh, and for those who don't know, Tom- this is a school that's in the, in pack Heights. It's in a residential area. It's it's, you can drive past that school and, and have no oh, idea. Yeah. You just, and not, not the large high school. Oh, yeah. 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 Very easily. And, and I, but I'm on the street looking for Tom and all of a sudden he comes running up the street. And I said, oh, he, said, he found the spaces. Yeah. So we run into the gym. We start the game. Uh, I'm his assistant coach for the varsity game. I'm sitting on the bench. We're coaching. The game is over. Now the JV game starts. And, you know, typically at that point, Tom would take his kids and head back home. And I would coach the JV game. So I'm there. We're warming up. Tom comes running up to me and says, Mike, I need your car keys. I said, Tom, what do you need my car keys for? He get the station wagon I was driving got towed. It's not there. It got towed. I said, Tom, if, you, if I give you my keys, how am I going to get back? He goes, well, I'm going to go look for the car, and we'll see if we can find the car. And so I have no idea what what happened after that point. I just know that, you know, I finally come down after the game. Tom is meeting me at the door of the gym. Uh, my car is in front of there. He has his car. And he would never tell me the story of what happened. But I just know the cars got towed. I don't know if he parked in the red zone. I have no idea what happened. Um, you know, that was a typical day with Tom Welsh. When I, w- I would go somewhere with Tom, you know, it was an adventure. And, you know, my whole coaching career with Tom was an absolute adventure. Um, I allowed Tom to talk me into things that uh, no one else could talk me into. Uh, there's no way that anyone could talk me into coaching middle school girls volleyball. It just would not happen. Tom talked me into it and, you know, had me thinking that I was the greatest coach, you know, that God ever put on the face of the earth. And I bought into it. But, you know, that was Tom. And, you know, he, he had a way about him of being the ultimate salesman. He uh, could sell you on something and he could convince you that, yeah, it was the right way to go. And this was the thing to do. Uh, and that was Tom. And he 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 had that. Um you know, it was, you know, when he hired me as a baseball coach, you know, I, Tom, I've never coached baseball. I played baseball, but I've never coached it. He says, you can do this. And no, Tom, I, I'm not sure I can, you know, it, it just happens, but that's Tom. And, uh, but he, he, he really set the foundation for our program. Uh, you know, he uh, was leaked and you talked about him being league commissioner. Uh, Tom took over being league commissioner, uh, back in somewhere in the 90s uh because after uh john worley left university tom was coaching when our league was all one league he was the commissioner still and then later we broke into a conference and went into several leagues and that was when tom then was just the head of our league 
And later he became head of the conference. So what we see now in the conference format, but that's always been Tom, you know, he's always, you know, said, Hey, you know what, if I can lead it, then it's going to be a good thing. I can get it done. And that was what he, he did. But um, no, Tom was hilarious. He had the, the worst uh, dress code of any person on the face of the earth. As far as athletic director, he would come well, in wearing gonna... red. <laughs> yeah. One, 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 one. So I'll tell you just um, anecdotally. So the, the things that pop into my head, uh, you know, about that. So one Talps, when we were doing some of the uh, um, preparation for some of your retirement uh, celebrations last year, you know, we went through yearbooks and looked at photos. So many oh, classic man. photos, uh, I'd say probably from the you know early to mid 80s of you and uh, Tom Welsh. Uh, you know, in those uh, um, coaching shorts, the polyester bike shorts, those were really popular uh, hats that today we would call trucker hats. But back then were just known as hats. Uh, and, yeah. um, uh, you know, a lot of uh, pictures of the two of you guys with, you know, whistles on a lanyard uh, hanging around oh, your yeah. neck. Those, those, oh, yeah. are, those, those are pretty uh, uh, hilarious. Um, I had two other things. You're talking about Tom being able to sell people on things. And, and this is like a classic high school sports story that he told us when I was in high school, which was he was, uh, uh, I think Tom went to Piedmont High School. He played baseball there. Uh, and uh, th it, it, this, I, I tell this as a way to show how you can uh, sell people on something. And I find this hilarious because he did this when he was a teenager. He's playing right field. There's a ground ball to right field. He comes running in. That's a base hit. Um, he yes. uh, appears <laughs> to scoop the ball up, keeps running in, calls timeout. Umpires call timeout. The, the, the game stops for the timeout. Turns out he never picked the ball up. He ran right past it. Um, so the ball is sitting in the grass in the outfield, but everybody assumed that he got it. So then he runs out, picks the ball up, and tosses it in. Uh, very much against the rules, uh, but very clever uh, to try to hide the fact that uh, he had goofed uh, and, and didn't field uh, the ball. Um, and I will say one of the things that resonated with me as a teenager, and it's one of those things that sticks, sticks with me um, in my role in terms of how we can uh, help be of service to kids. Um, the, uh, when I was a senior and looking uh, to try to further my basketball playing career in college, there was one Division three school that... Um, uh, coincidentally was being coached at the time by another former faculty member, Bob Wells. Uh, Bob Wells's brother was a head coach and uh, I didn't get into the school and I really wanted to go there and I wanted to play. And uh, 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 Coach Welsh knew that. And while I was in his office, he picked up the phone and called the coach and tried to extol my virtues. Um, and that just meant a lot that he would you know, take that time there to reach out to a college coach uh, and do that for me. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, and uh, I didn't, I didn't get in on appeal, but um, that just always uh, uh, meant a lot uh, to me as well. Yeah, Tom had the ability to always put his students and and players first. He, you know, he always had that. I think in in his uh, in his background that he, you know, the, it was always about the players and the students. And boy, I, I really learned a lot from him on that, and, he, and I appreciated the fact that he always did that, and uh, it, it always yeah. meant a lot to me. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Stephen, do you I have met, any uh, anecdotes sure. about Coach Welsh? Sure. I'm, I met Tom Welsh uh, in 1992. I was eight years old as a summer camper. And the way that you describe, I mean, think of like uh, wearing a Halloween costume of a, of a PE teacher, right? You guys forgot the high socks and like the, right. you know, the funny shoes and whatever, but, um, you know, kind of, you know, projecting this voice over hundreds of kids, right? I was terrified of this 
this man. Um, and then, you know, my, yeah, I think, I think I actually had him for seventh grade PE. I had Mike for eighth grade PE. Um, but I didn't understand him, right? I didn't get it. He seemed like, like a hard guy to understand, right? He's, he's got his rules and this and that. I remember as a, as an eighth grader, um, wearing basketball uniforms that had been passed down every four years from the high school varsity team <laughs> to high school JV to high school frosh soft to eighth grade. So in 1997, 98, or a, something like that, I think I was wearing a basketball uniform from like 1970s, which is like every 12 year old boy's nightmare wearing like little shorts. You know, what basketball uniforms look like at the time, but I didn't even get it. I was just like, dude, this guy, what's this guy's deal? Like he doesn't, he doesn't care about us, right? Because I'm like, this is what I want. Like, why can't you give me what I want? But he was, he was completely dedicated to, um, to doing things the right way and to understanding what matters and what doesn't matter, right? I mean, I, I would have liked to have that uniform and that would have been cool. But when the ball goes up in the air, it doesn't matter. And that's what Tom was all about. Right. He knew that we were an underdog school as far as our size. And at that point in our athletics program, he's sending us out to go play these bigger schools and better schools. And we're going here. We're going there. Sometimes we're getting killed. Sometimes we're not. When I started to play high school basketball, I'm watching Tom coach and we're getting killed. And the varsity team's always sticking right there. I'm like, man, varsity team's going to lose by 30 and the varsity team lose by five. And like that stuck with me. How is he doing this? How is this guy like? We're, we're smaller than them. Our biggest guy is six foot three or six foot four. How are we sticking with, right? And I started to look at this guy coaching in a different kind of way. Um, you know, as I, as I became an athletic administrator myself, I told you we intersected at a critical point in my career. And then as a league commissioner, I would call Tom for advice, right? I'm asking him like, why do you use Robert rules of order? Why is this important? Why, why, is, why are the structures that you seem adherent to? Why are they important for you? And his, his answers always stuck with me, right? I'm doing it this way because I have something to fall back on when things get really hard. When there's a really tough decision to make, I need to have precedent and I need to use principles. And, and if I establish that I'm a person of integrity, then even if you disagree with me, you're, I can explain to you why I did. You can disagree with my reasons, but not with my reasoning. And I'm like, man, that, this guy gets it, right? And now, now as, an, as an administrator, I hear... You know, I used his handbook, uh, student athlete handbook to build the student athlete handbook for Gateway that they still use today. It's evolved and changed. I'm a, a few generations separate from Tom, but our roots are the same. I added different things. I changed different things. But in the end of the day, Tom's big thing was what can you control and what can you not control, Stephen? Why are you worried about stuff you can't control? You just play basketball. I'll worry about the uniforms. Like that's what's important. And if you can really start to separate the things that you can control, the things that you can't, then you can, you can take a victory from a defeat. You can, you can flip it from time to time. If you really have a deep understanding of exactly what you need to do and execute that, you can be successful. And like Tom is just still one of my mentors. He helped me through a lot of difficult situations as an administrator. Um, and his leadership on the league level was, was, is admired, not just by the three people talking right now, but it goes wider to the section, to the state level. Yes. He is well, well known, uh, for being a, a person of deep integrity and, uh, and a powerful voice. And, uh, you know, he'll always be one of my people I look up to for sure. And, you know, you know Steven, 
It's like before leaving game, I had a few little things I wanted to get to, right? A few little gifts I wanted to give. I wasn't sure where I was going to go next. I didn't know about this job yet. And Brent and I kind of worked together a little bit to reform uh, the sportsmanship award, which is given a section gives it down to a league, but the coaches across the league and the, really the athletic directors from each league um, nominate, you know, or vote on select one school within that league um, who demonstrated the highest values of sportsmanship. And for me as a next generation person and, and an equity minded individual, and with the gender expansion of inclusion in sport and this and that, I saw that that needed a little bit of tweaking and went about kind of rewriting this award and making it more inclusive and removing implicit bias from it and things like that. But sportspersonship was always Tom's top, top priority. I, I, everything else that matters, at least we treat each other with respect. And so reforming that and taking it to the athletic directors and then Brendan stepped in and go, we got to name this after Tom Welsh. Uh, and we I did. That's so, awesome. So our league has a new format, uh, a new way of selecting, um, selecting our sportspersonship award. It's renamed. And uh, that's a cool little like little nod to Tom that we left on it our is. way out. Yeah. Yeah. One second, yeah. Brent. I was going to tell Steven, I, you know, I know uh, about the uniform because you can imagine me coming in as an assistant AD with Tom <laughs> saying, why do my kids have these God awful uniforms, Tom? And Tom would always tell me, say, you want the kids to aspire to be at the varsity level. And so they want to get in those good uniforms. And so that's what keeps them playing. They, you know, he, he had a plan and I, I never saw it. I didn't understand it. But you know what? After a while, I would have kids come to me and say, Matt Fahey used to tell me the greatest day on, on in the sports besides winning it all is uniform day. And because you get the uniform and Tom would always have those varsity uniforms would be the nice ones. The JV, the frost off, he'd go, look at those uniforms. Don't you guys want to be in those uniforms? Kids are going, yeah, I want to be in that uniform. Tom had a plan and, you know, it just was so hard to see it. And, you know, I can tell you, I, I over uniforms and different things uh, over the years, I resigned from my job a half dozen times a year with Tom. You know, Tom would come and I go, Tom, I need this and this. And Tom would say, no, you can't have it. And I go, I quit. Get somebody else to do this job, you know. And then he'd, you know, come in 20 minutes later and we'd talk about it. And then we'd come up to some decision. But I always quit, you know. And I'd go, Tom, that's it. I can't work with you. I'm done. You know, it's been 25 years. I'm done. Let me, let me out, you know. So, yeah, but the uniform thing, when you brought that up, it really came back to, 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 uh, to memory with Tom. That was a funny thing. Uh, um, uh, I do want to take a moment. We're talking about a longtime employee uh, here, Tom Welsh. Just give a little shout out to another person that's important in all three of our lives, and that's Mary Fahey. Uh, Mary oh. has been here throughout. She outlasted Welsh. She outlasted Talps. Um, Mary was longtime PE department chair here and coached any number of sports uh, and uh, provided us with some of our best athletes also in the athletic program. Uh, so um, um, let's uh, give a quick shout out to, uh, to Mary as well. Um, uh, another thing that we all have in common here, uh, the three of us, is our baseball program. Um, Talps, when the uh, program started, I think it was uh, 1985, spring of 85 was the first season. You want to tell a little bit about uh, how that program got started? Sure. That, you know, I, I remember that. With, uh, Paul Chapman and I how that all. I remember that as if it was yesterday. Uh, it sticks with me. It's probably one of the memories that I will uh, 
cherish forever because, you know, I wasn't a baseball coach by trade. I, I came in as a basketball coach, but, you know, Tom had the ability at that time to convince me of anything. And so, you know, I, I just remember being down the office, getting a phone call uh, saying, you need to meet with Paul Chapman. And, you know, going back to my days as a student, I went, oh, my God, I have to meet with the head of the school. What did I do wrong? They're going to fire me. You never get called up to the office if they're going to give you an award. They do that in front of the entire school. He's calling me to his office. I'm getting fired. So, you know, that's how I think when, you know, come meet with Paul in his office. So I walk up to Paul's office and um, I'm sitting out in the little area waiting and uh, his administrative assistant were talking and, and she says, you know, you know, Paul will be out in just a minute. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did I do? I come into the office. And um, if you've ever been in a meeting with Paul, it's it's really um, it's a funny situation because you walk in and sit down and Paul says, hi, Mike, how are you? Have a seat. And I sit down. And he says, how's this going? How's that going? And we're talking and we're talking. I go, well, I know Paul didn't call me up here just to chit chat. I mean, really? So we're talking and we talked for 10 minutes just on, you know, this and that. And then finally he says, uh, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, baseball is an integral part of like all these high schools and, 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 and we need, it needs to be a part of a, of a high school program. And I said, well, that's a great idea, Paul. He said, I think we're going to have a baseball program here. And I go, Paul, that's a fantastic idea. Well, you know, baseball would be a great, really good sport here. And he says, uh, yeah. And he says, I, I've decided that you're going to be my head coach. <laughs> I said, Paul, that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea, Paul. And I, I never said this to Paul. I, mean, I would never say that. Paul, that's a bad idea. Paul says, uh, no. I, I says, Paul, he says, you played baseball before, Mike. And I said, Paul, I said, you know, you and I have talked a number of times. Paul had taken a course, I believe, at Yale under Bart Giamatti, who used to be the uh, Major League Baseball commissioner. And Paul had a love of baseball. And he says, he says, Tom Welsh told me you're the guy. And I said, Paul, I, I can't do this. I've played baseball, but I've never coached baseball. And he says, uh, Mike, I think you're the guy. You, I, I honestly believe that. I said, Paul, you know, let me explain something to you. I like to eat cake, but that doesn't make me a baker, okay? It, 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 the two are totally different things. I play baseball. I, I can't coach this sport. Paul talked on, and I says, well, I said, well, okay, Paul. I, obviously, I wasn't going to win this battle, so I said, okay, Paul, I, I guess I'm the coach. Um, and this, mind you, was in the near the end of October, early November. And I said, well, Paul, I said, you know, I guess, you know, if we're going to have a baseball team, you know, I, I, you know, maybe next year when we, you know, get started, we can, you know, look at Paul says, well, no, no, Mike, we're starting this year. And I said, Paul, we're, we're like the beginning of November. Baseball starts in February. We have no players. We have no uniform. We have no field. We have no schedule. We have nothing. Paul, you got to be kidding me. He says, Mike, you'll be fine. And by this time, I'm standing up. Paul's still sitting down. I remember this. Paul stands up, puts his arm around my shoulder. He goes, you're going to be fine. Thomas told me you're the man for the job. He opens his door to his office. He's walking me out the office. And I'm going, no, Paul, I, I, wait. We need to talk about this a little further. We can't start baseball in February. We've got zip. He walks me out the door. He closes the door. I'm now standing in that little foyer area just before you walk down to the middle school patio. I'm by myself. And all I can think of is, 
what just happened here? Somebody just tell me, I'm the head baseball coach of a program that's starting in three months, and I have, I'm staying. That's how I became the baseball coach. Honest to God, I, 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 I never saw it coming. Uh, I got down to the office. Tom's laughing. He goes, you're going to have a great time doing this. And I go, have you lost your mind, Tom? What are you thinking? And he just kind of closes his door. He's laughing because he goes, yeah, well, you need to take that up with Paul at this point. And he closes the door, and I'm just out. So I, I am now the head baseball coach of Ed Royce. This is the uh, in the fall of 84. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I never saw it coming. It wasn't something that I aspired to. It was just sort of a, I was ambushed, and I was told I was the coach. There it is. And, that was it. And what, what, what we try to explain to the kids these days, uh, how good they have it. Uh, you know, back in the day, we all had to pile oh. into those uh, station wagons with all the gear, with all the equipment, drive to a field oh. that was not regulation size uh, for our practices. Uh, um, and down at uh, what was a it? generator. Remember, we yeah. had like a generator. Yeah, you had, had, a, you had, oh, had yeah. a generator so you could power the pitching machine. Um, and, uh, uh, and that's how, that's how practices run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was tough because our infielders are standing on the outfield grass because it's a little league cut infield. So the ball had to go through the dirt and then onto the grass because 90 feet put us into the outfield grass. You know, you had, uh, uh, you had your, your interesting, uh, members of the neighborhood who would kind of swing by (laughs) people walking across the middle of the field and you just go, Excuse me, we're having practice. They shut up. We don't care. We can go home. They just walk right across the field. I'm like, ah, here we go. I will tell you though, it, it did benefit us. I can share a game, a story about uh, a game we played down at Lowell Field. And uh, Lowell Field's way down uh, West Oakland, and uh, not in the greatest part of Oakland, but uh, it was a baseball field, and we didn't have a field, so you know we tried to get a field anywhere we could. And I can remember Lick Wilmerding came over to play us. And they had a coach who was a former pro baseball player, played uh, in the old <laughs> league with the San Francisco Seals, Dino Rastelli. And uh, they come onto our field. And, you know, we were, we were not that good back then. And so Dino was the coach. He brings his kids out onto the field. And he's looking around. And, you know, the, all the neighborhood people are out there. Guys are sitting out on the table playing dominoes and drinking something with little brown paper bags covering them. And they're sitting over there. And, you know, you, you kind of look and go, ooh. So we picked our dugout on the safe side, and we're on the side, and poor Lick kids were over on the other side. And I remember a ball going over into the area where the the guys were playing dominoes. They start yelling at the kids, hey, hey, that ball come over here, you know. And their coach comes and says, Mike, how how do we get the ball back? And I go, well, I don't know, Dino. I go over and ask the guys for the ball. I don't know. We, You know, yeah, this was part of our mystique, you know, playing at some of the fields in Oakland that we played at, uh, you know, playing down at Bushrod and, and playing at some of these parks that uh, these coaches would come in and they would just be stunned. Uh, Pescadero kids would come down. We play at Bushrod and their coach go, Dallas, you're bringing us down here into the hood. What are you doing? I go, hey, I go to Pescadero and play out there in the artichoke fields. You guys come down here. This is where I play. So. Yeah, it, baseball was very interesting back then. It was, uh, you know, builds, where we built, it, built, it, built, it built character. Let's just oh, it builds it a way. lot of character. It builds a lot of character. And uh, and we got to know people in the neighborhood after a while, and pretty soon they see you, and, you know. But, yeah, it was it was a little different. Uh, it was like a, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, a, a group of vagabonds in a car. We just go from field to field to field and we play. And uh, yeah, we had no home field for the first three years. And, uh, it, and, and it was actually, you know, not a bad deal in the sense of, you know, look, I didn't have to prep a field much. You know, the fields were awful. So when Oakland came out, we were lucky and they did drag the field. You know, uh, we would tell the other team, hey, you know, be careful out there. You know, it could be a little treacherous, but but we played all over the different fields in Oakland, and uh, and after a while, we you know we started to gain the respect of other programs because they would see us out in the neighborhood playing, and we played everyone, and uh, we didn't shy away from playing the public schools. You know, we always played, you know, Oakland Tech and Fremont, McClymonds. We played all the Oakland inner city schools, and we it didn't matter because they were all our neighbors. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to drive anywhere to play these guys. And I'm playing on fields I'm familiar with because that's where we practice half the time. So it was great to play in the in the neighborhood. And it was always a lot of fun playing, you know, all the schools that were local schools. And and we started to gain a reputation of, hey, people wanted to play us. You know, other schools, they wanted to play us because we would come there. And I'd say, hey, we'll, we'll go anywhere. We'll play anywhere. We don't care. We don't have a home field. So we would, you know, be on the road and uh, and play games. I can remember going to the North Coast section in the uh, meeting for seedings. And teams would talk about their records and what they were doing. And, you know, and they'd say, hey, we did this and we did that. And I could always stand up and say, hey, you know what? We were 25 and three, you know, and people go, oh, that's that's a great record. And I go, yeah, we played 21 road games. The guy goes, what? Because you played six. I said, we played only our league games at home. We played 21 road games. And the guy, they couldn't believe it. And I said, we played on the road all the time. But what it did do is it made our kids really, really mentally tough. We could travel anywhere and play. And we played some of our greatest games on the road. We, I, I, and I've always attributed to the fact that we were always on the road anyway. It didn't matter. So, uh, you know, we had no fear of getting in the car, driving somewhere, learning how to travel, uh, get out of the car, put your game face on and go out and play. It, it, was, it, become part, it became part of our nature because we had to do it for practice. We had to do it for every game. And uh, – I really was always proud of that uh, with our teams that uh, we, we would end up playing a lot of away games and it made us, it made us mentally tough. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about, so, so that's like version one or beta version, if you will, then you get the field and then, oh. and then there's also like a third <laughs> stage of head race baseball. I mean, you're one of the winningest coaches in California history. It would be the nation, if not for the States that play two baseball seasons. But what, what, like, can you talk us a little bit about the evolution from that first version you've set, like, kind of the foundation here? Where does it start to become an elite program? Uh, and then, you know, where does it go to, like, producing Major League Baseball pros prospects? Well, that, that's, you know, for me, the line is very blurred. Um, but I can tell you uh, in year two, Brendan was on my team in year two. Uh, and, and I re recall this situation because as a coach, it formulated everything for me about what baseball was about and how I needed to think of the game to start this program to get to that next level. And uh, again, we, we were playing University High School. They had been the league champions for a couple of years. Uh, university, uh, along with Pescadero and uh, uh, Woodside Pryor, we were the top schools in the league at the time. And we go to university. And they had won the league championship. They were they had everybody back. They're supposed to win it again. We go over and our second year of the program, we beat them something. I want to say it was like 21 to nothing or something. I mean, we just worked them. It wasn't close. And 
Oh, it wasn't close. And I remember us shaking hands at the end of the game. And they had a coach named Frank Castanelli. And Frank was just a wonderful man, but he was he was fiercely competitive and um, but a wonderful guy. Um, and we get to the end of the line and the coaches are the last two. Frank shakes my hand and he says, well, man, I hope you see you guys in the playoffs, Mike. You've done a great job in just a really short amount of time. And as we turn away from each other, I laugh and think to myself, ha playoffs? We just beat you guys 21 to nothing. Are you kidding me? Well, to make a long story short, they made the playoffs and won the league. We didn't make the playoffs. And that was the point where I started to understand if you're going to be elite in baseball, um, it, it takes a lot of time, patience. You know, when we got the field, we stepped to a different level uh, in the sense that we had some consistency now. We were able to do things on a daily basis, and we knew what the parameters were. And uh, even though we shared the field with, you know, three other teams at times, uh, one of the things that I was able to get our kids to do was say, look, for us to be good, we need some time to ourselves on the field. Let's practice late. And so we took the late practice time. So we would practice. I think you remember this, Stephen. Brittany, you don't remember any of this stuff. This, I don't think this ever happened when you were here. Uh, it was a few, we, we went to that 5 o'clock practice slot, and we would practice 5 to 7 every day and uh, because it allowed us to have the whole field. At, at that point, I think um, kids would come into the school and say, hey, you know, Head Royce has baseball. But I will say this, that uh, every, with, ex- with a very few exceptions, every great player that ever came to our program came up through our middle school you know we didn't we had very few people ever come in as a ninth grader transfer in and they were a star um we had some good players come in but most of our kids were homegrown so going back to my tom welsh days tom taught me you need to cultivate your program from the middle school so when those kids were in my middle school pe class you know i would always say hey man you know we want you to play baseball here we want you to stick around play for us you know when we had a field, it was easy for those kids to see us play now. And as they saw us play, it starts to go back to that thing of, yeah, I want to be on the field. I want to be in those uniforms. I want to play. I can do this. Um, we opened our practice up to anyone. Anybody come see us play. I would sit in the dugout and talk to anybody about baseball with our team. Uh, we would do little promotions where they would have bat boy for a day at the auction. Some kid would come in and you know be a bat boy for the day. Uh, you know, and he would sit on the bench. And so, you know, we wanted to give them those experiences. And uh, at that point, the program started to take off a little bit. We had some talent. We went through ups and downs uh, over that time. But it, it was never about the effort or the talent. It was always about, you know, as baseball players would say, it was the baseball gods. You don't get anything easy. And, you know, I can remember all the heart wrenching gut-wrenching losses we took in the last inning two outs of a game and you're right there you lose it and but it made us stronger and as a coach it made me start to understand and appreciate that you know 25 and 3 is a really great year because you didn't win it all you can't put it all on the last game and we started to cultivate that mentality with our kids that it's not about the last game it's the complete picture it's everything for your season uh, the last game sometimes is determined by things you can't control. And so, you know, we, we start to understand that. But we had talented kids. Kids are already going to college and playing. Uh, I can remember the first kids that really went off to college. You know, John Fogg went to Yale and 
I believe he pitched a little bit at Yale um, back from my first, very first team. But it wasn't until I think we got to the years where John Furstenthal, uh, like maybe 91, 92 that year, John went to Cal to play. And John ended up uh, as a senior leading Cal in hitting. This was a kid from Head Royce. And you're going, oh, my God, he led Cal in hitting. Now, granted, Cal wasn't a great program then, but he still led their team in hitting. Uh, Britt Bamberger uh, ended up going to Tulane. And they were a nationally ranked team. And he made it to the last cut. And he came in and I talked to him afterwards. He says, says Brent, why didn't you make it? He says, you know, basically, coach, they were just looking for kids with size. They weren't concerned with how good I was. And I was always of the belief that it didn't matter your size. If you can play, you can play. But I realized we had college-level kids now. We had kids that were playing at the college level. Kevin Graves and Brian Graves, they came in. And uh, Stephen, when you came in, Cameron Johnson, as we, we get to those kids, who, when we, we started to get to the point where when we had a field, all of a sudden we were still playing a lot of road games, but we were really good at home. And uh, But nothing really changed about the way we taught the game, the way we went on. Even up to where the years where we became sort of, you know, what, what people might call an elite program, uh, we, we still coach the kids the same way. We, we, the, our philosophy was the same. Um, you know, if, if, if you're going to be out here doing this, have fun because it's a lot of time and work to put in to not enjoy it. And um, everybody has something to offer to this program. Uh, you know, people I know right now, the biggest talk is about Nico Horner and um, playing for the Cubs. And I watched Nico play for the Cubs do things. And it's funny because he'll make a play and I'll get six phone calls. And they'll say, did you see that play, Nico? And I go, you know, Nico did that in practice every day, man. Really? I said, you know, you see it here now. But, you know, we saw the guy every day for four years. And we knew where he was headed. But um, Nico, his whole thing when he came in, you know, I would love to say, hey, I created and made Nico. You know, I'd be lying to you. Uh, what I, the only thing I did with Nico was write his name into the lineup every day in ink. Uh, because everybody else is in pencil. So I wrote his name in an ink because I knew to put him in there. But he, uh, we, we, the biggest thing we worked with Nico on was enjoying the game. So as soon as you start to enjoy the game, your talent will just rise to the top. And uh, his dad and I had those conversations all the time. He would say, hey, what can you do to help Nico enjoy the game? Because, you know, he's so serious. And so with even our elite players coming through, we, we still talked about, having fun. And so our biggest thing was, and I think Steven, uh, maybe not so much Brendan when you were there, because when you were there, Brendan, I had no idea what I was doing half the time. Uh, you know, we had yeah, a lot that was, of that was, that was obvious. Go on. <laughs> but with Steven's teams, you know, practice was fun. I think we, we, we knew how to work, but we had fun in practice. And um, that was the whole thing was that I, I started to realize that you have to be very loose to play this game. You have to be mentally, intense but physically loose and so we would try and keep everybody you know be loose be up there play if you make it out you make it out come back and get another at bat you know but you can't worry about the you know and and the thing that that, that we had that steven was one of those kids that i coached i remember this you know we would talk about i coached a handful of kids that uh he always went for it uh you know some kids you don't know what they're gonna do they're gonna are they gonna back off steven always went for it and so i knew that when when i didn't want steven to go for it i'd take him out of the game and a funny story about Steven with taking him out of the game was Steven's one of the uh -oh. only people. Uh oh. Yeah, I have to tell this story because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I my my assistant coach, the guy coached me, he was my co-coach. Keith Richards was just a, a wonderful man, knew baseball, taught me more about baseball than anybody. Uh, when when 
it was time to take a pitcher out, he would say, Mike, go get him. He's done. Go get him. And I'd walk out to him and go, hey, man, you're done. You know, let's make a change. And there have only been a handful of kids, and Steven is one, that managed to talk me into leaving him in a game. And and the other three or four kids, they would I'd go to the mound and they go, Coach, I'm I'm okay, let me, you know, come on. And, and we there'd be a discussion. And I'd walk back, he'd go, What happened? I go, He talked me out of it. He goes, Oh, come on, really? Well, I go out to take Steven out of a game one time. I'm call time, I'm walking towards Steven. And he's got the ball. He's standing on the mound. He's looking at me, shaking his head like, no, no, like, you know, don't come out here. And I get about halfway to the mound. And now Steven turns his back to me and he starts walking towards the outfield with the ball. And I go, Steven, where are you going? He, he looks back and he's like, you're not taking me out of this game. And he starts and he's walking. And I'm going, well, what, what do I do now? And, you know, finally, by the time I catch him, we're up by shortstop. And I'm going, Steven, what the heck are you doing? And he goes, Coach, you're not taking me out of this game. I got to finish this game. And I go, well, I guess so now because you made us both look like idiots. We're all both standing out here. And the shortstop's out there looking at us going, what the hell are you guys doing out here? You know? And I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was rare that a player was able to talk me out of something. But Steven had that ability. And, and it, it was because I think over the years you develop a respect for your players and coaches, vice versa. And, um, and I was always the one that would go out there with the idea of, you can talk me out of this, but it's got to be really good. Uh, Steven running toward the outfield. You know, I, Keith was laughing in the dugout, and I was like, well, I can't take him out now. I, so I leave him in the game, and I turn and walk back. But Steven was one of the few players that, that managed to just, you know, he wasn't giving up the baseball. He was just going to say, yeah. Coach, if you're going to get this ball from me, we're going to be way out in the outfield when you take it. And uh, one of hey, the so, funniest things I remember. Hey, about That's not how I remember it. I won't go into side <laughs> of the yes, story. Steven. But here's the, the place where that came from is we had this elite team when I was a freshman, right? We had Andrew Riesenfeld and Kevin Graves and yeah. Brian Graves, oh. and that was the first team to finally get over the hump, right? Yeah. We were the first team to win that North Coast section championship. And I, I always had that intensity and in I learned it from the guys who were above me, right? We're here to have fun, but if you're not working in practice, we got a problem. And I would come into you and this and that. And you told me early in my career, it's not your job to win these games. It's your job to not lose them. If, if you can just hold the line for us, these older guys will carry us. And so when it became my turn, when I was a junior and I was a senior, I'm going, this is my job to win the game. I had another, you know, I looked in the, in the bullpen and there was a freshman over there, you know, shaking in his boots. And I had, nothing, I had nothing in my body, right? It was a three-day tournament. I'd pitched on the first day. It was 100 degrees. We're up in Dixon, Wilsey Wood High School or something. Yeah. And I could not break a paper bag throwing that ball. But I remember executing a pitch and the kid stuck his knee over the plate and it hit him. And it was, you know, walked in a run or whatever. But it, it was my time, right? I, I'm going to win this game. And I had Matt Fahey, right, one of our best catchers ever, who's looking at you going, I believe him. Like, let's roll. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember running yeah. out that way, but that's, that's you know, the core of what happened there. And, and I want to be that kind of coach, right? The, the kind of coach yeah. who will listen their kids and let them make mistakes and let them fail if they're going to fail. I'm not going to protect. Right. I'm going to protect everyone from this. So yeah. And well, I, you're exactly. I, right. I think it's it important also. Game. Yeah, I think it's important also. Talps, you touched on some things, right? So, so you are a, uh, uh, you know, realistically, you are an award-winning baseball coach, right? You won a lot. Uh, you did receive uh, local, statewide, and national 
coaching uh, recognitions. Um, you also uh, were talking baseball, but you also were a really successful uh, women's basketball coach here uh, as well. And, and all of the things that you mentioned uh, about bringing to your baseball program, I, I know you brought to the basketball program as well. And it's not so much, uh, I think, uh, you know, what strikes me is is uh, it's about how you treat people and your approach uh, to things, right? It's it's uh, there's some technical aspects, you know, in basketball, knowing when to call timeout, when knowing when to go to a zone defense, um, in baseball, knowing when to to take a pitcher out, um, um, or in Stevens case, chase them into center field. Uh, but the um, you know, and that's I think you know ultimately what uh, what everybody who played for you um, you know both in the women's basketball program and in the men's baseball program can appreciate is uh, you treated folks uh, well, uh, you gave them some latitude, uh, you made it fun, uh, but you held them accountable. And I think that you know for the students who have come through the program uh, and uh, and had that experience with you, you know that's the big takeaway uh, with that. You know, Brent, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, you know, coming in as a basketball coach, you know, people really do recognize me as a baseball coach, I think. Um, but basketball was my passion. Uh, I came in as a basketball coach. And uh, some of the the, the, the greatest uh, memories that I have, um, you know, not, not that they supersede baseball, but were for my basketball years because um, that was where I really learned about coaching, uh, heartache, everything that goes along with sports. Um, it, it was very tough uh, uh, in basketball because, uh, as Stephen said, you know, we would go out and we would be just simply overmatched many times. And we would get our kids to stay in games. And um, I can remember, uh, and you were there, Brendan, my, my, the last year that I coached uh, uh, in 2010, um, the team that I had, uh, people laugh to this day because I tell them, I said, you know, it's really hard because I didn't have the kind of young ladies that played basketball day in and day out. And it was their thing. Uh, we got, we sold them on the idea of playing defense and that, you know, we could get enough offense to win a game, but we had to play defense. And, um, I remember we were two wins from the state title game. Uh, and we went up and played a team that, you know, we, they had no business being in our division, but we, we, you play who's there. Uh, and at the end of the year, I remember sitting in our locker room at the end of the game and all the girls are crying. Um, I knew that this was it for me. And I can remember sitting there just, just talking to them, just, you know, not about, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, pep talk or anything, just talking. And um, as we, as we were going through this whole little closure, you know, one of the things that uh, I remember with, with our girls and, and particularly on that night, um, and going uh going forward was that you know you're you're 29 and two and you know whatever and you know you've got this great record and you you've just lost this game and these kids were heartbroken they for them it was you know this was the end of the world and and we didn't have kids that were you know great players and and i can remember standing there telling them girls look you know um you averaged 44 points a game offensively this year. And I said, you won 29 games averaging 44 points a game. You don't understand how incredible that is. Uh, you know, and, and it, it, I think it took a while for them to get to that. And I said, we built our program based on, like as Stephen talked about earlier, what we do. Here's who we are. 
Uh, if we can score 44 points a game and win 29 games, we're a really good team. You don't, you know, and so we would have conversations. But at the end of that night, I think they all started to kind of buy into that because they realized, that, you know, you're right, Coach, that these teams, everybody in this tournament at the end of the day is averaging 60 points a night. We're averaging 44. I said, and you're right with them. And I said, you know, you we'd come down to the last three minutes of the game. And I'd look at sitting in the huddle and look at the huddle and say, look at the scoreboard, girls. And they'd look up there and I'd go, we're up by two. But the score is 39-37. Up by two. Three minutes to go. And I go, they're in a full-out panic across the other side of the floor. We're right at home. We never score more than 45 points. We're right at home. The other team is used to scoring 60. They're an epic failure meltdown right now. And so we got our kids to believe in that, that, you know, we'd look over and we'd have something that we'd talk about in every game. And I go, you see that coach, coach over there? He's wearing a certain kind of jacket. Look at that. I go, we got to make him sweat, make him take that jacket off, you know? And we would start playing and all of a sudden the jacket would come off and I go, we got him girls. Look at it. The jacket's off. We got him, you know? So we would come up with things like that. But um, basketball was, was so, so much fun because, you know, as a coach, you control things. You can have control. Baseball, I control nothing. Absolutely not anything. Uh, all I can control is where I put people in the lineup and when I make a pitching change. That's it. That's about the only thing you control. Uh, in basketball, you can change tempo. You can change something. You can put, hey, I want Sarah to shoot the ball now. The ball will go to Sarah. She's going to shoot it. Bases are loaded in baseball, and I go, I want Steven up. Sorry. Johnny's up. Steven's not up. So you have very few things you can do in baseball. Basketball was the time that I felt that I had to coach. It was where I really felt, you know, the the uh, coaching came out. And, and that goes back to Tom Welsh because Tom would always, you know, hey, coach those middle school kids. I'd be able to middle school kids. And I'd be drawing up plays on the board. And by the time I looked at it, it looked like spaghetti. And people would look and go, what the heck is that? And I go, I don't know. Just go out and play. I can't, you know, because you've drawn so many lines on the board. And but those middle school days were so much fun, and it's where you learn to coach. But basketball was was my first love, and um, and I never wanted to, to to short shrift it because I loved coaching basketball. Baseball just happened to you know it worked. It worked. We were very good. Uh, I, I learned to love the game. I actually became a coach, and like oh my god, I'm coaching this sport, you know. But my first love was basketball, and I was hired as a basketball coach at Henry. So yeah, it it uh, it is it has been a big part of my life. Well, great. Uh, thank you for sharing all that, Coach. Um, super appreciated. Um, so, yeah, we, we obviously, the three of us share so many. We come from the same coaching tree. Um, you know, we've seen the program evolve. We've got, you know, all sorts of changes happen here. I, for one, started, you know, had my first look at this place in 92. I left in 2002. I stayed away for a while. I just came back. And what I've found is something that at its core feels the same but on the outside looks different. It feels different. And Steven, I totally concur with that sentiment. I'd say it's innovation on top of solid foundations. So Talps, you have entered a truly well-deserved retirement after a lifetime of service to Head Royce. How have you found it all so far? Let's see. How's retirement? Well, you know, retirement for me has only been about three weeks long. How long has school been going on now? Three weeks, maybe? It's only been about three weeks long, Brandon, uh, because I've, I've been off summers every year for 42 years. I've been on a school schedule for 42 years. So every summer I'm used to being off. So June, July and August, it doesn't feel any different. 
Um, the last three weeks has been absolutely uh, Twilight Zone-ish for me. Um, I, you know, I, I, I will say that I miss being at school. I miss the people. Uh, it is something that I've done for so long uh, that it's just, it's become ingrained as to who you are. Uh, you know, it, it really is ingrained in that in me. Um, but what have I been doing? So, you know, uh, I've taken the, the, my grandkids uh, on a couple of trips so far. Um, uh, I'm actually going on a cruise uh, next week with a former Head Royce student. Uh, my wife and I are going on a cruise with Benji Breitbart, who uh, my former baseball manager. We're all going on a cruise together. Um, I have family trip planned. I'm joining Julie in, uh, on one of the alumni trips going back to the East Coast. Uh, I think Rachel is on that trip. Rachel Skipper, the new head of school. So I'll be doing that. Um, I am actually working on my golf game, uh, which is, uh, well, it's missed, it's MIA right now, but uh, I'm actually getting better. And um, so I'm working on golf and um, I'm doing a lot of things uh, that uh, just to get myself in better shape, to uh, physically be in better shape, uh, you know, uh, still uh, walking my dog, walking two hours a day, uh, trying to uh, do things like that. But um, and, and really just trying to get to the point of, you know, what's going to be next? Uh, uh, I, I didn't I didn't didn't write anything in an ink. So I've, everything I've written in is in pencil because I just know uh, that's who my how I've been. Um, I've started using a calendar for the first time. Uh, you know, when you're a teacher, you go to school at 8.30 every day. You know what you're doing between 8.30 and 5. Your schedule's set for you. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, if you're a coach, you know your coaching schedule. And all you have to do is go, when do I have to go to the dentist? When do I have to go to the doctor? And then plug that in. Well, now I have to plug everything in. So, you know, it's it's not crazy for me to have nothing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and have seven things on Friday because I didn't have a calendar. And so all of a sudden I have all everything on Friday. Um, I'm learning how to use a calendar and go, Hey, I got to move you here. Let me put this here. But it, it's, it's been, uh, it's been different. Um, I haven't been back on campus yet. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try and get out some athletic events. Um, and, uh, I am really looking forward. And before we're done, I want to just say, uh, you know, I am excited about what uh, Stephen, you and Brendan uh, have in store for this athletic program. I think you guys are, are going to be just a great team. Um, Stephen, I'm so happy you're back at Head Voice. I wish I could have spent some time there with you, I know. Uh, but, you know, we, we talk quite a bit as it is. We always manage to catch up. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's so good to have you there. And, Brendan, um, you know, I look back at the field and everything. So you did an outstanding job with that. Uh, and for me, it's really, really heartfelt to have two of my guys, there running things. Uh, and, and I just feel like, you know what, the school is in excellent hands athletically because these guys know what they're doing. They're very good. Um, and and I, you guys are just, I think, going to be an outstanding pair of uh, athletic administrators. And, and I'm so excited for the, uh, for the future of this school. I, I really am. So uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and uh, continue to make us proud. I know you will. Oh, Taufs, that's so nice. I will say one of the nicest things uh, having Steven here is he actually sits like in the same office in the same spot that uh, um, Taufs used to occupy. And it's so much cleaner now and just like well it organized. Uh, it's well, he's just, only I been mean, there three uh, weeks, Brendan. Yeah, he's only it didn't take long for, uh, for that benefit to uh, <laughs> just to really sort of show. So, you know, it's yeah. just uh, it, it's all good at this I, point. Yeah. I had accumulated 
42 years of stuff, you know, it's kind of tough. Yeah, and, yeah, and remember when we talked about maybe you could like take some of that stuff home and then you didn't, and then Stephen and I were left to kind of sort through it and clean it out? Well, um, I, you know what? I, I looked at that stuff and I thought, I took the stuff I wanted. Everything else, I go, well, they'll deal with that. They'll be okay. They're, they're, yeah, they'll know thanks, what to do. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, <laughs> thanks buddy. Uh, Talps, listen, we are... Uh, I, found your, I found your dartboard with the officials like names and faces on it do you want oh, that back hey, let me just let me just tell you you know the closing thing you know it, we laugh about officials it's absolutely crazy but some of the some of my better friends are actually some of the officials um because you know you grow up with these officials just like you grow up with the players as a young coach i followed young officials as they cycled on the same ladder as i did um i know two or three professional officials um you know the they went to the next levels. And and believe it or not, my rapport off the field with most officials was really actually good. Uh, and on the field, you know, we had our ups and downs at times. And uh, but, you know, most of the time I always respected the guys that were out there, the job they were trying to do. Uh, you, we, we could not play the games without these men and women that are, are, are officiating these games. Uh, and in the midst of battle, many times I would go out to the official and say, Look, you know what? We we're having a bad week, man, and I'm sorry, but you know what? You're going to get my wrath today, and that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, because I can't yell at my kids because I love them too much, and you you're going to have to take it because I'm paying you a lot of money to officiate today. So you know we've had those, but actually some of my best friends, people that I've grown up with as a coach, were some of the officials, and that's absolutely crazy to think about. But yeah, many people I run into on the street, hey Mike, how are you? And it's an ex official, you know, and it's it's uh, it the, the the athletic community is a small community. Well, listen, Coach Talps, it's been an amazing hour here with you. We really appreciated you taking your time to take that trip down memory lane with both Stephen and I. From both of us, we'd like to say a big thank you for all you've done, both for us personally, as well as professionally, and certainly on behalf of the school, uh, we'd like to say a big thank you. We hope you've enjoyed our time with us today. We've enjoyed talking to you. We'd like to thank everyone for listening, and we'd like to invite everyone to check out our future podcasts, including an upcoming discussion with our new head of school, Rachel Skiffer. Thanks so much, everyone.